Welcome to the Memorial Sermon Podcast. It's our hope that this message would encourage you in your walk with God and drive you closer to Jesus. For more information about our church, visit mbcmetairie.org. Now, here's this week's message. All right. So, uh, today uh, we will be looking at uh, one of Jesus' parables. Uh, It's in Matthew chapter 25, verses 1 um, through 13. And uh, I just want to give you a little bit of a context here of what's going on. Uh, So this particular parable uh, comes from what is commonly called the Olivet Discourse. It's a section of scripture where Jesus is uh, coming down to, you know, uh, to the cross here, but he's He's sharing uh, with his disciples. Uh, He's on the Mount of Olives. That's why they call it the Olivet Discourse. And uh, he's bringing up a lot of teaching about what the final days will be like and what his second coming will be like. Okay. And uh, in verse, um, in Matthew 24, verse 44, Jesus starts to go into uh, three different parables here about what his second coming will be like and uh, how it will be unexpected. All right, so he says, uh, Matthew 24, 44, Therefore, you also must be ready for the Son of Man is coming an hour you do not expect. Okay. All right, and Jesus then goes into three different parables, the parable of the faithful and unfaithful servants, the ten virgins, which we'll be covering, also known as the foolish and wise virgins and the parable of the talents. All right, so I'm going to start, I'm just going to go through and read the whole passage, and then we're going to go back and kind of break it down. And um, all right, so starting in uh, verse 1 here, chapter 25. The kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them, but the wise took flask of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. But at midnight there was a cry, Here is the bridegroom, come out and meet him. Then all the virgins rose and trimmed their lamps, and the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are coming, going out. But the wise answered, saying, Since there will not be enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was shut. And afterward the virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But but he answered, Truly I say to you, I do not know you. Watch therefore... For you know neither the day nor the hour. <clears throat> the purpose of a parable is to, to, it's a short story, and it's meant to give a spiritual or moral lesson. However, um, I think some people make the mistake of trying to turn a parable into an allegory, where every single element of the story has some sort of hitting hidden meaning, and that's not really the case. And uh, I know this parable is probably not the one that gets the most sermons taught about it, right? 
Um, that's probably got to be, you know, the prodigal son or something. But um, I feel that Jesus shared this parable with his, his followers, with his disciples, for a very specific reason. It's recorded in Scripture here as a very stern warning. And uh, we're going to get into it here. But um, the overall purpose of the parable is for Jesus to warn people to be prepared for second coming. And specifically, I think this parable is directed at those people who identify as being believers or followers of Jesus. <clears throat> and all, Jesus had also just delivered other parables with a similar message. Uh, a little earlier, he went in, they had the parable of the wedding feast, right? So Jesus likens the kingdom of heaven to the parable he is laying down here. Um, the kingdom of heaven being God's eternal kingdom. Uh, it is, you know, what we commonly think of as, as heaven. And also, this is where all believers have their true citizenship, their home. And uh, Pastor Dan, you know, we've been, he's taught some about the, the, the two, two two culture classes, and, and being a part of the kingdom of heaven. Um, so as a believer, that is where our true citizenship is. That's where our home is. That's where we'll spend eternity with God. <clears throat> so the setting of this parable. Uh, it is a Jewish wedding around this time. Um, and there's some elements that I really didn't understand about a Jewish wedding until maybe a couple years ago. And it made some things in Scripture make so much more sense. And it's important when looking at the Bible to realize, uh, to, under, to get a proper understanding, the people that it's written to, the audience, right? It's written for all of us, but it's written to a particular audience. And so this would make sense in the context of a Jewish wedding. So with a Jewish wedding at this time, there would be three parts, okay? First would be the engagement, uh, and typically the father... Fathers of the bride and the bridegroom would make uh, or would arrange the marriage. There would be a betrothal, and this would be when vows were exchanged. Okay, uh, and at this point, basically, uh, the bride and groom would be committed to each other. All right, uh, we know from Scripture this is the point. Like Mary and Joseph were already betrothed when you know she, you know, she was visited by angel and told about, um, you know, she was going to have a child, Jesus. All right, so at this point, even if the, the groom was to die for some reason before the wedding took place, she, the bride would still be considered a widow, right? But after the, the betrothal, the groom would go and prepare for his, to start his new family, all right? So he would go and would often be the case, he would build an, a room onto his parents' house, all right? So they get to move in right there with the in-laws and... <laughs> All right, but uh, th this was often the case. He would go to prepare a place. The uh, preparations for the wedding would be made. The betrothal could last a while because it could take a while to get everything ready. All right, and I always think, and this is where it kind of stood out to me a few years ago, realizing that when Jesus says he's going to prepare a place for us, you know, in my father's house or many rooms, right? Think about it in a context of what he's going to set up a room for us for the wedding feast. All right, so that, that's the betrothal. Uh, then there would actually be the wedding ceremony and the wedding feast, all right? 
And uh, so when the groom had finished making the preparations, all right, to, for the home, uh, he would go with a group of his, his friends, kind of like his uh, groomsmen, if you will, and he would go to the bride's house, all right, and she would have uh, these bridesmaids, in this case, uh, you know, they're called virgins, because at this time, uh, the bridesmaids would be uh, women, probably close relatives, could be sisters, cousins, close friends. Uh, they were unmarried, all right, and they would be perform a role similar to kind of what you think of bridesmaids doing today. They would be there to wait on the bride, to be ladies in waiting, to help her, to be there, to encourage her uh, as this uh, joyous occasion is, is coming down. Um, so the, the groom would go, usually at night, to the bride's house, all right, do it at night because people aren't working, so they can come to the feast and everything. Uh, they would get the bride and then go back to the, you know, start a ceremony there, then go back to the groom's house, and they would perform a wedding celebration. Um, this would often be kind of one of the larger social events and celebrations that would take place in, uh, in a community. And, um, you know, the, these celebrations could go on for seven days, all right? So, <laughs> so they really like to throw down there, all right? Uh, but it was definitely, it was a very joyous occasion. It was a great honor to be able to go to a wedding. And of course, the, these uh, 10 virgins would be looking forward to it. I know uh, for myself, you know, I enjoy going to weddings. Uh, I certainly was very excited before my wedding. But um, in this case, they're, they're all prepared. They're, they're waiting for the bridegroom to arrive. All right. So if we look at the ten virgins, we already talked about them being, um, you know, basically they're unmarried women. Um, it doesn't really, you know, the fact that they're virgin or anything is, isn't really that relevant. It's just the fact that they are, uh, this is the stage in life they're in, okay? Uh, there was a number, there's ten of them, okay? Ten was seen to be a good number in, in Jewish culture at this time. It required ten men to, to have a synagogue. Um, but we do see that five of them were considered to be foolish, and five of them were considered to be wise. Um, these numbers, I mean, I don't know, I wouldn't try and dig too deep into them, like, well, does that mean 50% of people are like this or that? Uh, it's just the idea, maybe, perhaps, we should consider that a great number of people could be categorized as the foolish, right? Um, <clears throat> there's no other real distinctions made between the wise and the foolish group. Uh, you know, there was an, there's another parable of a wedding feast where you have guests showing up. They're not wearing the right type of clothes, all right? But that's not the case. We don't have any indication here. Besides, there's no, there's no way to tell by looking at them that there's any difference, all right? Um, the virgins would have, or the bridesmaids would have, you know, we've already talked about they'd be close with the bride. They would have been invited to the wedding by the bride. And they certainly would have been looking forward to the wedding, right? The bridegroom in this parable, I think it's pretty obviously that this is Jesus, right? Um, and his return is, or him coming to the wedding feast, coming to the, the bride's home, would be uh, Jesus talking about his return, Right? And the bridegroom, um, you know, this is going to symbolize basically Jesus coming and taking the church to heaven, to the wedding feast of the Lamb. Right? 
the lamps, okay, uh, I think the Greek word is lampus. Um, this is kind of where we get our English word lamp, but in reality, it's probably more likely to be a torch um, that would be used uh, in a wedding procession. Um, there would be, you know, kind of like a stick, like you think, and then maybe some cloth, and then you would put oil on it and light it, okay? Um, without oil on a lamp, it's pretty much useless, or on a torch. Um, the wise maids, they brought oil with them. The foolish did not. <clears throat> the torches would also be an important part to distinguish the, uh, the wedding party. So when they're doing, we said the groom would come to the bride's house. He would then take uh, the wedding party, would all kind of join together and go through a procession. Well, in this case, all the bridesmaids and everybody in the wedding party is expected to have a torch, right, or a lamp. The oil... The oil is what distinguishes the wise bridesmaids from the foolish. The wise were prepared and they brought oil with them. The foolish did not. Okay, the oil was required to participate in the wedding ceremony. Obviously, you can't have your, your torch lit if you don't have any oil. Um, and it, you know, you couldn't have, if you didn't have a torch, you couldn't participate in the wedding ceremony. Um, one of the other things to look at with the oil is they could not borrow it, all right? We see that the wise virgin or the wise bridesmaids or virgins had the oil and the foolish did not, and they couldn't loan it to them. And uh, some things to look at. So what does the oil symbolize? I think that's one of the important things that we do see. We need to do neutral uh, as having a, a meaning is the oil since the... Uh, that's one of the things that the foolish hat did not have and the wise did. And uh, I can, we can tell you what it is not. The oil is not good works, okay? Um, I think that there are those that would teach, well, obviously, they're teaching the, 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 uh, the foolish bridesmaids. They just weren't good enough. And it's like that would go against the rest of Scripture, right? Uh, we have many cases where we, we learn that... Um, there's no amount of good works that can justify us before God. Just see Ephesians 2.8. For by grace you have been, give, been saved through faith, and it is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God. Okay, so even though they didn't have the oil, the oil is not good works. Don't mix that up, all right? It is, what the oil does represent, though, is true spiritual life, okay? Um, so whether that be, you know, it could be, well, represents the Holy Spirit, all right, if somebody's a believer, they have the Holy Spirit. Um, they have a true, genuine, saving faith. They've truly been born again. Uh, oil in Scripture is often associated with being anointed with the Holy Spirit. All right, so the idea is that the oil represents a true, saving faith, all right? Spiritual life, all right? Um, so let's just go back through the story again. Um, we see that uh, the bridegroom was delayed in, in verse 5. Um, so Jesus reemphasizing here that, um, you know, just like this bridegroom was delayed, could have been caught up with any number of things. Jesus' return will be unexpected, all right? Um, it's maybe delayed from a human perspective, but not from the divine. Uh, so God, it's already planned. But, um, you know, 
we always, you know, just like his first coming was somewhat unexpected, the second will be even more unexpected, right? We do see that also as we continue, okay, so bride moon was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept, right? So the bridesmaids, uh, you know, they got tired, they were waiting, went to sleep. I don't think there's anything negative here drawn about the, the fact that they went to sleep. Um, you know, uh, because both the wise and the foolish did it, they went to sleep. All right, I think that it's pretty, uh, it's realistic to expect that as believers, we can't live every second of every day under, you know, the anticipation that we, you know, we're just waiting to go on up to heaven, all right? They will continue on, we'll continue on with our daily lives, all right? Um, we see that, you know, both the wise and the foolish do this, okay? Um, uh, also, so then continuing on uh, in verse 6, uh, but at midnight there was a cry, here is the bridegroom, come out to meet us, all right? Midnight's a pretty unusual time to start a wedding, <laughs> uh, and uh, we can see here it was unexpected, everybody was asleep. So um, we see that uh, this it's further emphasizing the fact that this is totally unexpected, but nevertheless, the bridegroom is here, right? Um, <clears throat> Come out to meet him. Then all the virgins, this is verse 7, all the virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. So they got up, uh, they started, you know, getting the cloth kind of in order, put it in the, uh, the torch to light it. And the foolish said to the wise, give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out, right? Um, so this is kind of when the foolish bridesmaids or the foolish virgins that did not bring the oil realized their predicament, okay? The bridegroom has arrived. They didn't bring any oil, all right? And they can't light their torches. Um, they knew that they didn't have any oil the whole time. And they knew that the bridegroom could show up at any time, but they waited until now to address it, okay? <clears throat> and of course, without the oil, there's, the torch is pretty much useless. Um, but the wise answered saying, since there will not be enough for us and for you, go to the dealers and buy for yourselves, right? It's important to realize here that the bridesmaids, the wise ones, even though they had their own oil, there's no way for them to share it. I think it's important to realize that spiritual life can't be shared between one person to another. So we're lacking, somebody who's lacking oil or lacking a true belief in Christ or true spiritual life or the Holy Spirit, they can't depend on anybody else to give that to them. They can't depend on, you know, their family's belief, their parents' belief, their siblings. Um, we see in Romans 9, 3 through 4, you know, Paul wished he would have cursed, or he wished that somehow, you know, if he could take, be, you know, not saved and, and instead his kinsmen could be, but that just doesn't work that way. Um, the saving faith or spiritual life can't come from anyone else. It has to come only from God. So the dealers, I don't think uh, you can draw any sort of conclusion that you can go out and buy, uh, you know, any sort of spiritual life or, 
or true belief. Um, plus, the fact is that, you know, it's midnight, so there's not going to be any stores open, I don't believe. <laughs> so um, we can see that in Romans 3, 24 through 26, uh, you know, that grace, this thing, the oil that they should have had is a free gift. They just had never gotten it. Um, so, uh, and the justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in the divine forbearance he had passed over former sins, it was to show the righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. And also Ephesians 2, 8 through 9, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is a gift, not to be, not a result of works, so that no one may boast, right? So they were missing the oil. They were missing this faith. They were missing um, a true relationship with God. There's no way to get it except from God, and it's a free gift, but they, were, they didn't have it. Um, they don't necessarily... Um, or they did not have what was necessary to enter the kingdom of heaven, right? On in verse 10. Um, and while they were going to buy, the bride's groom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was shut. And afterwards the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. This is one of the, the most difficult parts of the passage um, where you realize that um, the tragedy that's taking place, the, uh, the tragedy is that the opportunity has passed for salvation. Okay? The marriage feast in heaven, um, you know, these bridesmaids, they weren't able to, to get there. Um, and that's it. It's a final judgment. Um, the, the bridesmaids were invited to the wedding, and they had every, uh, every intention of going, every plan to go. They thought that they would be able to go, but there was something missing. Okay. And then while they were out trying to get the oil, you know, the wedding proceeded without them, and now here they, they are. <clears throat> and and we see here when they in the second part of uh, verse eleven when they say Lord Lord open to us in Hebrew when when somebody used somebody's name twice in a repetition it was also it was commonly kind of like a, a term of infection affection affection <laughs> um, to to just kind of belay you know or to to relay kind of intimacy all right. Um, you know, saying, Lord, Lord, and tragically, we see that, um, you know, he, there, I can see, you know, them kind of knocking on the door, you know, and tragically, Jesus answers, or the groom answers back, truly, I say to you, I do not know you. Um, and these bridesmaids, we see that they, um, 
they never knew the groom, right? They thought that they did. They thought that they had everything in order. Um, they thought, uh, for whatever reason, how they were dece- they had deceived themselves. Um, I think that, um, you know, it's, I think of like kind of in the days of Noah, you know, Noah had warned uh, people about the flood. They didn't listen. And now at the end, they're, they're banging on the door of the ark. Um, there was no more opportunities. Okay. Once the door was shut, it's over. Okay. Um, and Jesus says truly, you know, he's, um, excuse me, these, these five, uh, you know, when we talk about new, all right, um, we're not necessarily talking about, you know, you know of somebody or you know their name or you send them a Christmas card every year. Um, the term new here is more than just in a cognitive sense. Uh, it's in a relational or intimate sense. Um, it will be a realization of terror the moment for unbelievers to face a holy God, seeing they will be excluded from the kingdom of heaven, right? And, you know, just kind of looking over this, um, this parable, we see why, you know, it, it, is, it is pretty troubling, right? Um, we have, you know, two groups, wise and foolish, the wise had what was required. They had the oil. They had true spiritual life. They really did know the Lord. And you have the unwise who thought that they did. They thought they, you know, they were believers. Um, unfortunately, I, I, we, again, this numbers thing, I don't really draw too deeply into it, but it seems like there are a lot of people that would fall into the foolish camp. Um, and the tragedy of, you know, them showing up the, the last day, Jesus' unexpected return, whether that be through, you know, Jesus coming or if he continues to tarry, um, that in death everyone will face him, right? You know, uh, if we have in the passage... Um, that once... You know, uh, a man dies, is appointed into face judgment. Um, you know, in this we get the idea over and over again that Christ's turn, return will be unexpected. Um, <clears throat> All right, so... Um, We find also the foolish group. Um, they could be maybe classified uh, with, you know, in James chapter 2, he talks about those who have dead faith, okay? Um, Jesus had told other parables about tares among wheat. Remember, tares are like these, this plant that looks just like wheat. You couldn't tell them apart from wheat. They were planted in the fields. And then the last day, you know, the angels come and separate them out, um, they're also like the trees that do not have any fruit or, um, you know, Matthew seven nineteen. okay? Um, the fact is that in every outward way, they 
in a lot of ways looked like they were Christians. They looked like they were believers. Um, you know, they professed to be Christians, okay? They identified, they were part of this wedding feast, right? And, um, it, and sadly, they just, they weren't actually there. They never really had a true relationship with God. <clears throat> when the time comes to face Christ face to face, you know, like whether it be in, in death or his return, um, we don't know when this will be. We don't know the day or the hour. None of us is guaranteed another day. We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. Um, and so we, we must always be prepared. And that's the, really the message that Jesus is trying to relay. So the question is like, you know, where do you find yourself? And it's really one of these things, like I believe, yes, a believer should truly have assurance, all right? But unfortunately, you'll see that a lot of people have a false sense of assurance, right? Um, Jesus warned about these group of people in Matthew chapter 7, um, verses 21 and 23. And for me, this is like one of the more troubling verses in Scripture. I mean, even though... I I believe in everything is inspired in the Bible. I believe, you know, the inerrancy of the Scripture is definitely something that really hits home. It's hard to to kind of just think about it, but not every. And Jesus saying, "Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven." On that day, many will say to me, "Lord, Lord, do we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name?" and do many mighty works in your name. And then will I declare to them, I never knew you, depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. <clears throat> it's a tragedy that many people who believe they're Christians really aren't. Um, on their, when they face judgment, they will you know, say to Jesus, you know, hey, I, but I did this, you know. I did, you know, I, you know, I, you know, went to church. I was baptized. I grew up in a Christian family. Uh, you know, I could have been a deacon. I could have, you know, been a preacher. Um, there's a lot of things that they try to come up with to say, no, 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 I did these things in your name. And tragically, they, Christ says, I never knew you. Um, and so this is... You know, people could, you know, continue to go on, like, I did this, I followed this religion, I did, you know, I tried to keep the Ten Commandments. Again and again, you know, it's the answer would be the same, I never knew you. And so I just invite you to do as Paul asked the Corinthians to do in, in Corinthians 13, 5. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith, you are in the faith, and test yourselves or you do not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail to meet the test, right? So it's, it's one of those things, and, and I think, you know, all three of these parables here that on the Olivet Discourse, kind of Jesus is warning, right? He's warning, you know, to be prepared. He's warning those who who call themselves a believer, to really examine themselves. And the fact is that, you know, outside of Christ, 
outside of trusting in his finished work, we don't have a, any hope. Um, and I think that's where probably these foolish virgins, they, they made their mistake. They, they just assumed. They assumed, you know, well, I'm with the group. I know the bride. Um, you know, I'm going to be there. So I'm going to be able to get into the wedding feast, right? And tragically, that's not the case. Um, the truth is we have um, a holy God, a righteous God, a just God, and his holiness demands perfect justice. Um, he can't tolerate sin. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. We've all missed the mark. We've all broken God's law. We have a debt that we can't pay, and it's, it's not like some monetary debt, you know. It's a moral debt. Okay, we, there's no way we can measure up to any standard. We could never be good enough. We can never go to church enough. We could never give enough money. We could never say enough prayers. There's no amount of things or acts we could do to justify us before God. But God being rich in mercy sent his son Jesus came down from heaven he, he took on flesh he left the glory of heaven to live in perfect righteousness to succeed where we could not to honor the father to obey him perfectly as Israel walked in the desert for 40 years and continued to fail, Jesus went and faced Satan in the desert for 40 days and succeeded. He lived in perfect righteousness. He came to earth. He brought a love. He brought a message of love and mercy, but also of warning. He went to the cross. He did the will of the Father, and he satisfied his justice. He took on our sin. He paid the price for us. He ransomed us from the debt that we owed. There's nothing we could have done to satisfy the, just, the justice required, but he did it for us. He defeated sin and death and raised from the grave. And now is seated with fa the Father in heaven. Um, and, you know, 2 Corinthians 5.21, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And this is one of the things that for me as a believer, it is it's so hard still to wrap my mind around, to understand it in my mind, but to really understand it in my heart, that not only did Jesus pay for our sins, right, but we can only stand before God because of the righteousness of Christ, right? Not only did he pay for our sins, but now when God looks at us, he sees the righteousness of Christ only because it's been given to us or imputed to us. It's been added to our account. And now we can be considered adopted children of God. We are reconciled to God where before we were enemies. The truth is, you'll hear it said so many times, 
We're all children of God. This is, couldn't be further from the truth. Now, we are all made in God's image, but we are not all children of God. The truth is that if you're not in Christ, you're an enemy of God. You see in Ephesians that we're called children, if you're before you were in Christ, you're a child of wrath, okay? The fact is that outside of the saving work of Jesus Christ, outside of his grace, outside of his mercy, a sinner, we can't face God, all right? We are condemned, but because of the grace that comes through saving faith, we can stand before God and be considered his children. We must realize that we're hopeless without his grace. There's nothing we can do to justify ourselves before God. You can never be good enough. And, I, and it just breaks my heart so many times to see people who call themselves Christians and say, I'm a good person, I do what's right. I just follow my heart. <laughs> follow my heart. I just try to, to do what's right by myself, to be who I am. And it's such a tragedy that they have no understanding of the gospel. We can't live like that. We can't face God on our own righteousness. It's like filthy rags. It means nothing. Okay. So, just closing, I would ask that if anybody, you know, if you've, if you've never thought about it, or maybe you've always just assumed, you know, well, you know, I was, I grew up in a church, and, you know, I, I did say a prayer one time, and, you know, I, I did, you know, I did these things, I went to youth camp one time, um, you know, I... You know, I, I, I say, I pray sometimes, I read my Bible sometimes. The truth is to really examine yourself and to look at, God, am I really one of the foolish or the wise? Did I really put my trust in you? Is my faith, does it have fruit? Is it real? Or am I deceiving myself? And I know that this is a passage that causes a lot of people, you know, to like, you know, to, don't, to doubt themselves maybe or something like that but the truth is nothing could be more important to understand whether or not if you call yourself a Christian that your belief is real or not